So, Lord, I thank you that your son Jesus Christ came to live and die, <clears throat> that he fulfilled all the requirements of the law, and he left and he sent your Holy Spirit. And your Holy Spirit is in me and it's in my brothers and sisters. And we ask you now, Holy Spirit, to infuse this time for your glory and for your honor. We need you so desperately. So the law of grace versus the law of legalism. You, you got that. They're both law. The question is, which way are we operating? Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin of death. Therefore no longer am I ruled by the law or controlled by the law as long as I'm in Christ. That's the key. In Christ we're free from the law. John 1, 17, For the law was given through Moses... 300 plus years after Abraham and Sarah had the son, 300 plus years after that, just so we understand, grace was demonstrated and manifested in Abram and uh, Sarai, and then 300 plus years later is when the law was given. So we got to get that to beginning. God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. That's, that's an amazing, an amazing, an amazing thing. So what's the role of the law uh, for us as Christians? What's, what role does it play? Some people say, oh, the Old Testament, we don't need it, it's useless, we don't, we don't live there anymore, or it, it doesn't apply to us. There's other people who say, well, we've got to obey the Ten Commandments, well, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do. So we've got the got-to-do sides and the doesn't-matter side. They're both wrong. <laughs> They're both wrong. So what happens when we sin? We are Christians. And if you're not a Christian, then we say, oh, you need to confess, repent, give your life to Jesus Christ, and he'll wash you, then you're free, free of the law, etc., etc. But what happens when we sin? We are Christians and we sin. So now what happens? Well, if we're baptized in the water and baptized in the Spirit, and we sin. That's the question. What do we do then? Because we all sin. Every one of us sins on a regular basis. So what happens when we sin? By God's grace, we have been created as relational beings in the image of God, created for relationship with Him and with each other. He wants us to have relationship with Him and with each other. That's key. As soon as we sin, the relationship is broken. In the Garden of Eden, God came and says, Where are you? I want to see you. I want to reconcile. And Adam and Eve were hiding. And so either we will say, Here I am, or we will hide. Those are the choices. But God is pursuing us. And He continues to pursue us. The first Adam got it wrong in the garden. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, came, was born under the law, was born as a human being, lived a perfect sinless life, and died, and he got it right. Remember Cain and Abel? Here's Cain and Abel. They both offered a sacrifice, and people look at it and try and analyze why was this one accepted and this one not. And God comes to Cain and says, look, I see your heart. Your heart is wrong. We try and look at what he did to try and figure out what was wrong with what he did. The issue wasn't what he did. The issue was his heart. His heart. That was the issue. And God said to Cain, I see your heart. 
Your heart is wrong, but the good news is you can come to me. We'll talk about this. Get your heart right. Then you'll be okay with your brother. And Cain says, no. I reject you. Your legalism that says I have to come to you. I don't have to come to you. I'm free to do whatever I want. And in his freedom, he chose to kill his brother. Because if we do not go to Christ in love, we do not go to God when our heart is downcast, we will absolutely do wrong things with people around us. Absolutely. The law was given to show us the high standard of holiness that God requires for us to be in His presence. He says, you are to be holy, for I am holy. And all my growing up years in my wonderful EMMC church, the pastor would always say, yes, we are to be holy, but God knows that we can't be holy and we can't be perfect. So therefore, we're okay. But Scripture doesn't say, you shall be holy, but we know you can't be holy, so therefore you're okay. It doesn't say that. It says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And God doesn't ask us to do something He doesn't expect to happen. But we can't do it. He knows that. He just wants us to know that. But then in Christ, in Christ we are holy. Absolutely holy and pure. And He says, come into the holy of holies. You're pure. People around us will say, you're not pure. Greg, you're not pure. I know you. I know you. You're not pure. And you say, yes, you know me, but you forget that I'm in Christ. And in Christ, I am pure. In Christ, I am holy. That's God's grace to us. So in Christ, we are completely acceptable to God the Father, and we are welcomed into the holy of holies. Think of that. Into the holy of holies. In Christ. A lot of people will stand and say, no, you're disqualified, disqualified, disqualified. We say, I understand what you're saying, that looking at me, I'm disqualified, but you're overlooking something. I am in Christ. I have confessed my sins. I have repented. Therefore, I am holy. Uh, somebody would say to me, yes, but when you go speeding and the cops pull you over, you get a ticket. Yes, you do. As may have happened to me. Or may not. <laughs> And I may have wanted to argue with the police officer, and I may have gone to court to argue the case that it was wrong. But now I'm trying to debate with the law, trying to debate with the lawgiver, trying to debate with everybody. But in Christ, it goes like this. I got a speeding ticket. Yes, I did, Mr. Officer. And I go to Jesus, my big brother. Jesus, I got a speeding ticket. And he says, let me take care of that for you. And not only does he pay for my speeding ticket, but he wipes it out from the records. There is no speeding ticket, ever. And somebody comes and I go to renew my license and they say, Oh, we, we noticed that you got a speeding ticket because I was on the street and I saw you get a ticket. I said, Show me in the records, where is it? And you can't find it. It doesn't exist. It's been wiped out. You see? This is God's grace. Now, if I keep speeding day after day after, my big brother might say, Dave, why don't you smarten up, okay? And that's who Jesus is. We keep sinning, he keeps forgiving, and then sometimes he says, why don't you just stop sinning? <clears throat> we can choose to do that. The New Testament is about the grace of God. The Old Testament is about the grace of God. God doesn't change. Never has, never will. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see these two tracks? Which way are they going? Hmm? Both ways. 
Aha. What we do very often is we look at, at grace. We say we have the grace of God, which is over here. Then we say, and this is legalism, and so we got to get to heaven going this way. That's not how it works, my friends. There are two tracks, and you don't know which way the trains are going because you don't know which way the trains are going, you see? But the tracks are there. So the question now is, which train are we on? Are we on a train called grace? Or are we on a train called legalism? You can't, they're going in opposite directions. You cannot be in one and the other. They're going in opposite directions. We just can't mix them. Legalism and grace are not parallel lines. Each track and the track has no direction except for the train that is on it. Either we come to God through Jesus Christ accepting His grace or we try to make our own way. This is an either-or decision. We're on this one we're, or we're on that one. You can't change. You can't say, well, I'm going to go to the law because Paul says over and again, why are you going to the law? Why are you on that train over there? You know where that train goes. It goes to hell. Why are you there? Thought you weren't going to hell. So, we sin, and then we get to we get to go to Christ. So, what happens if we we get on the wrong train? Well, there's a wise man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, if you board the wrong train, it's no use running along the corridor in the opposite direction. If you're on the wrong train, you're on the wrong train. Well, no, I'm going to go to the... I'm, I'm on the legalism train, but now I'm going to run the other way to the grace side. You're on the wrong train. As I've thought of this quote sometimes on the airplane when we're flying from here to Rwanda, I get in the hallway and I run the other way. And I wonder if that makes a difference. You know? <laughs> no, you're going where you're going. That just is how it is. So we have legalism, grace are not parallel. You ever go out to the West Coast and they have something called the Great Divide? I love it, standing there. You know, you stand with one side, one foot on one side and the other foot on the other side. You ever done that? Every continent has divides. What are the Great Divides? So you take a cup of water and you pour it. And, and if I got right foot, left foot, the water that runs on the right side will all run this way into this ocean, and the water I pour on the left side will run this way into this ocean. And there's a place on the continent where you can stand with your right foot and your left foot, and exactly that. If it rains, this water goes to that ocean, and this water goes to that ocean. It's amazing when you think of it. And when you think of that in light of the psalmist who says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. Gone. Matt, came here. So here are Matt and I facing each other, and, and which is great, and, but we have a, a, a transgression, a sin. One of us represents sin, and God comes along and He says, watch this. You go this way, you go this way. And you just keep walking. You go your way, I go my way. 
When am I going to meet him? Never. When does it begin? When does this I'm never going to meet him begin? It begins right here. I confess my sin. And the Lord says, as far as the east is is from the west, you're never, ever, ever going to see it again. Don't bring it up again. It doesn't exist. It doesn't, it's not there. That's how far he has removed, thanks Matt, our transgressions from us. Satan doesn't want us to realize that. He does not want us to understand this thing. Now we're in the month of praying for our Muslim friends and Ramadan as it's happening. We have a booklet they didn't talk about today, but there's a booklet in the back that can help you to pray for them. Today we pray for a country in North Africa where we had the privilege of visiting Darnell and Christy and we rode camels in the Sahara Desert with them. It was just wonderful. And uh, so we were there with them and, and I see there's some good things happening in that country and that's encouraging, but keep praying for the Muslim people. Islam points her roots back to Abram and his son Ishmael. Christianity points her roots back to Abram and his son Isaac. Now we want to understand this idea of grace versus law, and we're going to go back to Abram to get a handle on it. Islam has a set of rules and obligations. You need to do this, do this, do this. And has Christianity has a living relationship with God. Yes, there are rules and laws, but they're only there to expose our deficiency. To expose our deficiency. And Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn. What happens when we see our deficiency, we mourn. We say, oh man, what a miserable sop I am. I just can't keep these laws. And the Lord says, I know, that's why I want you to come to me. So I'll wash you and it's taken care of. Ishmael is a result of human effort, Isaac the result of God's blessing, of God's grace. Human efforts will never, never, never produce God's blessing. Never. We need to understand that. You can't earn God's blessing. It's there for you. It's free. You can't earn His favor. It's there for you. You can't earn salvation. It's there for you. Any attempt to produce God's blessing... Any attempt to produce unity and harmony based on human effort will always produce chaos and loss of life. Always. If I'm trying to bring order into my home with my wife and I say, Lynn, you need to do this, you need to do this, here are the rules, this is what you got to do. It's... <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Well, the laugh said it all, didn't it? (laughs) It's not going to work. It's just not. Then we got kids and we come up with rules for our kids and we think that's going to work. It's not. And it's no difference for you and me. And as churches, we make rules. And we think this is... This is the answer. It's not going to work. If rules and laws worked, then people wouldn't murder or steal because there's rules and laws about murder and stealing. It happens all the time. There wouldn't be uh, infidelity because there's rules about that. It happens all the time. So rules and laws don't work. It only produces more chaos. 
if it were humanly possible to produce any good, then Jesus Christ did not need to die on the cross. It would not have been necessary. So we have sons. We have Adam, Abram and Sarai. You notice it's Abram and not Abraham. And Sarai and not Sarah. Because at this point, their names were still Abram and Sarai. They were not yet Abraham and Sarah. Abraham means father of many, 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 many nations. And Sarah means mother of many, many, many nations. This was before that when God had just come and says, I will give you a son and I will bless you between the two of you. And so after God came and said, I will do this, here you are, good on you, it didn't happen. You know how when God, you have a prophetic, prophetic word given to you? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you have a prophetic word given to you and it doesn't happen, doesn't happen? Or oh, you're going to be a leader, you're going to be a pillar in the church. So then what do you do? You go and complain to the elders that you haven't been made a leader. That makes sense. <laughs> Let's see how that works for you. <laughs> You've been given a prophetic word and it doesn't happen. And then you go to the leaders and say, what do I have to do to make this happen? Huh? Who do I have to talk to? Don't you know here's a prophetic word? Well, here's Abram and Sarai. The, the same way, God says that I'm going to bless you with a son. And they go, well, we're not getting a son. We have a problem here. So in Genesis 16 and 17, Abram and Sarai are getting older and older and older, and then she has this magical thing called menopause. And they think just because she's got menopause that she can't have kids. <laughs> and uh, it's tough for them. So Sarah's womb is dried up, but God has promised them a child. So what does Sarai do? She says, well, there's a blessing. God promised a blessing. And it's not happening. Therefore, we need to make sure we get the blessing. So we've got to do whatever we get, can do to get the blessing. The focus is no longer on relationship with God. It's totally on the blessing. How do I get the blessing? Not, God, what do you do? No, 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 no. We've got to get the blessing. Abraham has a slave girl named Hagar. And in, in their culture, Sarai owned her. And if Hagar had any children, they were Sarah's children. That's just how it was. You maybe don't like it. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying how it is. So Sarai says, Hagar, why don't you go and sleep with my husband Abram? And you have a son, and Sarai being an Egyptian slave girl, Sarai being a Hebrew free woman. She says, you slave Egyptian, go to my husband and we'll produce God's blessing. Abram, who doesn't say, let's go to God and ask him. Just like Adam didn't go and say, let's go to God. Exactly to repeat again of the same problem. And he says, well, that sounds cool to me. So they got together and they had a son named Ishmael. And they produced Abram's offspring making by, by intervening physically, humanly. And so what did they do? There we go. They took something produced through human effort and called it holy. They said, here you go, God, this is holy. It reminds me of myself. When I come up with things that I want to do, would really like to do, and I say to God, okay, God, this is your plan for me. Will you make this holy? Will you approve of this? 
I, I want to walk this way in life. And God, in his word, clearly says that where I'm walking is wrong, wrong, wrong. And I'm saying to God, okay, God, but I really, really want to do this. Can you just make, make this your will? Can you say, ah, yes, Dave, I bless you. This is my will. Can you, can you just do that for me? After all, I really, really, really want it. That's what Abram and Sarai did. And the amazing thing to me is that God still blessed Ishmael. He blessed the son. And he said, you will, be the, you will have many, many nations. But he also said, you and Isaac, the other son, they're going to fight. That hasn't changed, has it? The text says that Sarai was the original wife of Abram. God's gift to him. God's gift of grace to him. Hagar was never intended to be the wife. She was an Egyptian slave girl. She got tired of waiting. As was Abram, tired of waiting. She lost hope in God. Put her hope in, in Hagar. Ishmael was born. A son to Abram, but not God's plan. God's plan was Abram and Sarai. God reminds them that they will have a son between the two of them. And what do they do? They laugh. <laughs> God, you think we're going to have a son? <laughs> Sarah, she's got menopause. She can't have kids. God, you think she's going to have a son? <laughs> You're crazy. That was Abram and Sarah. Do we laugh at God? I want to do this. I want to do that. Are you kidding me? Did you forget who you are? Do you forget who you, where you come from? You guys, you Calvary Chapel, you're going to do what? <laughs> this is crazy. And we laugh. Good thing God has a sense of humor. And he doesn't get scared away by our laughter. What about the law? Spurgeon had a wonderful way. He said, the law is Sarah's handmaid to sweep our hearts and make the dust fly so that we may cry for blood to be sprinkled that the dust may be laid down. The law, so to speak, is Jesus Christ's dog going after his sheep to bring them to the shepherd. The law is a thunderbolt, just like that boom in the speaker sound system, that's why I chuckled. <laughs> the law is a thunderbolt which frightens ungodly men and makes them turn from their error of their ways and seek after God. That's what the law does. It's a gift to us. It's a blessing. So we're in, in, in Rwanda and I open the door to get out from the back and this motorcycle, wham, rams into the door. A millisecond later, he would have squeezed between me and the door. Instantly, our driver jumps out and goes out there and yells at the guy. You idiot, you fool, what are you doing? You're crazy. I'm thinking, mm, maybe it's my fault. He came zinging by the door. So I asked after, says, so who was guilty? He says, the motorcycle. Why was he guilty? You're passing vehicles all the time. He says, he didn't beep. You have to beep before you pass. If you don't beep, I don't know you're passing. And the door will open in your face. Ah, good to know. Make sure you beep when you pass somebody. 
You see, this is the law. The law is there for our protection to show us when we go wrong, when we, when we go right. Now in Galatians chapter 4, Paul expounds on the story of Abram and Sarai. So I'm just going to read it. Listen to me, you who want to live under the law. Because people say, okay, but if it's all grace, then, then, uh, then what happens? People are going to go berserk. They're going to do anything and everything, right? We need the law. The law doesn't work. And so Paul takes that and he kind of grabs it by the throat. He says, listen to me, you who want to live under the law. Do you know that the law, what the law really says? The scripture says that Abraham had two sons, and from the slave wife and one from the freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. So we get Paul giving the commentary on the story of Abram that I just told you about. Now these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. See, I'm not making this stuff up. (laughs) Hagar, the slave wife, represents Mount Sinai where people first became enslaved to the law. That's where Moses received the law, on Mount Sinai. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery. But Sarah, the free woman, represents the heavenly Jerusalem and she is her mother. That is what Isaiah meant when he prophesied, and you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise just like Isaac. And we who are born of the Holy Spirit are persecuted by those who went, who want us to keep the law. Just as Isaac, the child of promise, was persecuted by Ishmael, the son of the slave wife. You see, the law keepers will always persecute the grace, grace people, always. And the grace receivers, grace livers, need to be gracious. Hmm? We need to be gracious. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the family inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, obligated to the law. We are children of the free woman, acceptable to God because of our faith. Not obligated to do anything. You know, we don't have to honor our parents. Old Testament says, honor your parents. Honor your father and your mother. I don't have to. I'm free. Right? Why are we supposed to honor our father and our mother? So it may go well with me. Ah. I said, but my mom and dad, my dad doesn't deserve honoring. You know who my dad was? Does not, no, 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 no. Not, not going to, oh, okay, so let's go back to scripture. Honor your father and your mother if you think they deserve it. So what it says? No. Honor your father and your mother. Why? So that it may go well for you. That's why. Old Testament. You must bring in the tithe and the offerings. Oh, I don't have to. I'm free. I don't need to bring in a tithe. No, you don't have to. Don't have to at all. We can be takers and not givers. Jesus says you can do that. I don't have to. I'm free. Can't make me. No, that's perfectly right. And Doug and Jan, who are blessed, and we share in that blessing because we share with them, we don't have to. Do we? And we'll miss out on the blessing, won't we? We're free. 
Do whatever you wish. Because you're still a son. Here's the thing with Hagar, Hagar's son and Sarah's son. Okay, This is a key point. Both sons were circumcised. Both sons received God's blessings. Both sons loved their father and were loved by their father. They looked the same. The legalist gets baptized, brings a tithe, and helps the poor, as does the grace receiver. But the grace receiver does it out of gratitude and in and through relationship. The legalist does things out of compulsion. The grace receiver does it because of gratitude and expression of love. Oh, Jesus, everything I have is from you. Everything, everything, everything. I'm so grateful. So grateful. Let me bless you. How can I bless you? And Paul, at one place when he visits a church who doesn't have a whole lot of anything, and they keep giving and giving, Paul says, you guys need to stop giving so much, okay? And he says, no, you don't understand. We want to give more. We want to give more. Our love for you and for Jesus Christ and what he's doing compels us. Don't have to. Hagar was never a free woman. Sarai was never a slave. The law was never meant to save. God's grace cannot be fabricated. Legalism is self-atonement. Legalism is saying the cross is not enough. That's what we're saying to Jesus who died on the cross. What you did isn't quite enough. I've got to do a little something on top of that. The message of the cross confronts our self-righteousness. Everyone sins. We're all in the same boat. Every one of us here. A regular person sitting in the pew, missionaries from Mexico, missionaries, pastor, elder, youth leader, missionaries to Africa, we all sin. Not one of us is without sin. The question is, what do we do when we sin? Everybody falls short of the glory. Everyone. The law shows us our shortcomings. Shows us where we don't cut it. So what do we do? For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. You see, the law and the flesh, what we're trying to do through the flesh. God did. He finished it. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. We do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So many, my growing up years, I I grew up in a legalistic environment. 
And I was taught from a child, you never really know if you're going to go to heaven or not, you know. What a miserable way to live. What a miserable way to live. I said, how can I know who my earthly parents are and I can't know if God, my father, is my father? I mean, what kind of God is that? Miserable. Miserable way to live. It's a lie from the enemy. You are a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You're washed in the blood. Set free. And when you sin, you go back to Jesus. People, sometimes we get together and we say, oh, oh before, I, before I take communion, i got to make sure I get myself straightened out. You can't get yourself straightened out. Not going to happen. So we confess our sin. How often do we confess our sin? As often as we sin. How often will Jesus forgive us? Infinitely. An infinite number of times. Oh Lord, I'm so sick and tired of confessing the same sin to you. And he says, so because I'm saying I confessed it this week, last week, yesterday, again and again, I've been confessing my sin. I go to Jesus and he says, okay, Dave, that's one. And I go back tomorrow and he says, okay, Dave, that's one. And the next day, I'm confessing the same sin. He says, okay, Dave, that's one. Are you bringing it to me? Yeah, okay, done. Next. Next day I come, that's one. That's one. That's one. This is our Father. He wants to be with us so desperately and wants us to be with Him so desperately that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that we could be called holy so He could be with us. He just wants to be with us. And I imagine in heaven Jesus is saying, let me go back already, okay? Let let me go now. I just want to go and be with my people. And the Father says, when I, when I tell you, just, just wait. He just wants to be with us. He sees everything and knows everything. He just wants to be with us. Father, how great a love that you have for us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. To set us free from our sin. Holy Spirit... Sing in our hearts. Sing in our hearts the joy of the Lord. And may this love make us run to you to confess our sin. Because we know you're eager to forgive us our sin. Help us, Jesus. Amen.